Hello and welcome. These are some sermons given by Monsignor Rosito from the years 1995 to the year 2016. Enjoy. Today is the sixth Sunday after Pentecost and the epistle is taken from St. Paul's letter to the Romans. Brethren, all we who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. For we were buried with him by means of baptism into death, in order that just as Christ has arisen from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we also may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self has been crucified with him, in order that the body of sin may be destroyed that we may no longer be slaves to sin. For he who is dead is acquitted of sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live together with Christ. For we know that Christ, having risen from the dead, dies now no more. Death shall no longer have dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives unto God. Thus do you consider yourselves also as dead to sin, but alive to God, in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the Holy Gospel is taken from the Gospel according to St. Mark, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. At that time, when there was a great crowd with Jesus, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples together and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, for behold, now they have been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away to their homes fasting, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from a distance. And his disciples answered him, How will anyone be able to satisfy these with bread here in a desert? He asked them, How many loaves have you? They said, Seven. And he bade the crowd recline on the ground. Then taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples to distribute, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few little fishes, and he blessed them and ordered them to be distributed. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up what was left of the fragments, seven baskets. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000, and he dismissed them. So far the words of this day is holy gospel. Brethren, all we who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. These are words taken from the epistle of today's Holy Mass in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. My dear friends in Christ, some years ago when I was assigned as an assistant to a parish of quite elderly people for the most part, I noticed in the church, which was rather a large church, that of course had wooden pews, that enterprising people had uh, sewn together cushions to set on the pews because as they get older, uh, the padding on their bodies becomes a little less thick and the hardness of the pews begins to be felt, especially during the long services, so they fashion pillows to sit on to make themselves much more comfortable. 
through these services. Now, many of these people had long since passed away, but the cushions remained, and those who came to Mass often made their way to where these cushions were to have a little bit more comfortable seating during the Mass and the services. And it points out a fact that people do appreciate the comfort that uh, they seek in religion. Religion for many people is a matter of finding consolation, of being soothed, of being inspired, of being helped to face the pains of life. And they come begging God for answers to their prayers. And when we examine their prayers, they're mostly supplication, interceding, um, asking. And it is part of prayer, but sometimes the focus is too much perhaps on what is comforting to those who come to church. We see that in general in religion. People seek comfort in religion. And what is not comfortable they seem to shy away from. They seek a religion that gives them what is more of a human satisfaction rather than giving to God the honor, worship, and glory that is perhaps the main part of our religious devotions. To seek a comfortable religion, I think, is perhaps maybe what underlies a lot of Novus Ordo Catholics who, like the new religion that substitutes for the true Catholic faith, emphasizing the release from pain, of suffering, of obligations, of mortification, of a concern for sin, avoiding occasions of sin, we, we see a general thrust in the, re, in the, in the direction of being relieved of the burdens of religion and giving substitute consolations that they're free to pick and choose. So we see people accepting birth control. They, we see people um, um, accepting divorces. Well, they may call them annulments. And we see a lot of pro-choice, a lot of things that pleases the person who makes these decisions in the name of religion or perhaps in spite of religion. This is something that's very indigenous and is something we have to watch. Now, certainly no one would deny anybody sitting on a cushion in a hard bench in a church, especially when the services go on, for example, through Holy Week. Uh, there's good and bad in everything, and we try to see the good and pursue it, but when we overemphasize anything, then it becomes an evil because it's excessive. So good becomes bad when it's exaggerated out of order. And we need to keep this balance, and we need to reorient ourselves, certainly, when we come to church. And I'm not coming here for my own consolation. I'm here to give glory to God. And in turn, God will give me the consolation or the strength to bear with the burdens of life. We see, see people seeking escape from the human condition, the pain of being human, our ignorance. Or we go to consult people who give us answers that we don't have to look up ourselves or find out by experience by the hard knocks of life. We want the shortcuts. Uh, husbands seek consolation from their wives, understanding, support. Wives seek strength and preservation from sufferings of one kind or another from their husbands. Children seek uh, protection, food, uh, shelter, gifts from their parents. And sometimes they forget their parents because they overemphasize what their parents can give them. Sometimes we 
pray for the gifts of God rather than for the God of gifts. And uh, this is something that we should reflect upon as we go through our efforts to remain faithful to the Gospels, not seeking consolation only and support of the comfort of what we were used to or that uh, trend of thinking that we had built in as sort of secondary nature now, but rather that we rethink our position and purify our intentions and give true religion to Almighty God. Uh, we intend well, there's no doubt. I remember teaching catechism to a little group of children some years ago, and uh, when it came to Lent, we uh, all discussed the fact that now we do some penance during Lent. Little children don't have to fast. They can uh, be excused from eating meat on Friday if they're under seven years of age. But these third graders, I believe it was, um, had the burden. And now we were going to introduce them to a little extra during Lent that they were not going to be give the, given the usual cookie that came at the end of class. So because our Lord suffered and we want to join our efforts to suffer with him in the sense of getting strength from our control, self-control over our appetites, um, in this case of eating a cookie or so. And so they all agreed that that was what they were going to do during Lent. And then we went through the class and when we came to the end of the class, there was no cookie. And one little boy raised his hand and said, but where are our cookies? He still wanted the cookie, although he had agreed he was going to give them up. And that, I think, is another illustration that we want our cookies in religion. Even though we are agreed that we're going to give them up, but we still want them. And sometimes people make religion um, a cookie situation rather than a sacrifice situation. So when it says... Uh, in the letter to the Romans, we who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. Now, no, nobody thinks ahead to dying. Nobody puts himself, at least not very often, in the condition of his last hour on earth. What will it be like? When, where will it be? How will it be? And we just don't think in these terms that we're going to keep on living like we did up until now and on into the future. But death is not a happy prospect. It's something that we want to avoid. And we certainly don't want to suffer in the, the development of the last illness and so on that we will probably end up with death in whatever form it comes. So we sort of set that aside. But death is part of our life. They say that you start dying when you're born. Well, uh, I'm sure there's a high point that's reached and then a gradual decrease until death eventually. But our religion is also a death if we really practice it. It's not the comfort, although we seek it and it's permissible, but it is that death to surrender. Not my will, but thine be done. In fact, we can see that this is the means of salvation, that by the death of Christ on the cross, by his shedding of his precious blood, the Son of God gave us an example in a human form of how we ought to live in the service of God. And his devotion was totally, completely, and primarily to his Father, and for the love of his Father, to his fellow men, to teach them to endure the hardships of trudging through Palestine and preaching crowds and uh, answering their requests and giving them great benefits, but 
for himself nothing except to serve his father as his father willed. He didn't call down legions of angels from heaven to help him. Uh, he could have, but he didn't. He said, my, my food is to do the will of my father. This is my daily bread. And how many of us as Catholics, traditional Catholics, have that total orientation to our Father in heaven, in, with, and through Christ? And so the theology of St. Paul is rather simple, that we have left behind this world with all its promises, with all its comforts, with all its illusions. Many people live a comfortable daydream type of living. They won't face the hard realities. They don't want to go through the fire. They'd rather avoid it. But you know that when you can't avoid it, there's only one thing to do, and that is to go through it and endure the pain, the suffering, the growing, the development, the maturing in the process of this growing out of infancy to childhood, out of childhood into adolescence, out of adolescence into maturity, and on to higher levels of the spiritual realm. This is the development that God calls us to, seeking first the kingdom of God and his justice, and all the other things can be added besides. So it's all right to put pillows on the pews as long as that's not the main thing. And it's all right to um, limit yourselves to the essentials as long as you don't do it avoiding other things that are perhaps even more important. If you will be perfect, sell what you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. And many people say, no, no. That's a little too hard, which is all right as long as you keep the commandments and do God's will, at least to that degree. So here we come then to our lesson in our catechism on the Catholic Church, its unity and holiness, chapter 53 and page 114. Now, we're going to see that we need to add a little bit more to this particular lesson to get the fullness of what we mean by the unity and the holiness as marks of the Catholic Church. We're not Protestants seeking our own interpretation of the Bible. We're not uh, fishing around for the most uh, enjoyable or comfortable, rewarding religion. We're here because of the truth, which will make us free, although the truth is hard to bear sometimes and harsh to endure. Now, the question is, why is the Catholic Church one? The Catholic Church is one because all its members, according to the will of Christ, profess the same faith, have the same sacrifice, the Mass, and sacraments, seven sacraments, and are united under one and the same visible head, the Pope. Now, that is a pretty complete catechism answer out of the Baltimore Catechism. It's um, very bare bones, you might say, but it is adequate. It's one because of this unity of faith, practice, and authority. Protestants don't have this. They're scattered. They're, look at the number of uh, different religions on the previous page here. Uh, principal Christian religious bodies in the United States. There are over seven, uh, there are over 200. In fact, there are more. And look at all the main ones that have divisions among themselves. Eastern Orthodox, they have 21 different groups. Lutherans, 19 different groups. You go down the street and you find the Baptists and you find the Covenant and you find the uh, Methodists. 
but they're all, they have different denominations within themselves, uh, each seeking to find some uh, expression of religion that's not too hard to bear. Now, the Catholic Church doesn't give you the leeway. There's only one way, and that's the rigid way of the truth that Christ taught us and has been given to us by the Catholic Church through the centuries, guided by the infallibility of the magisterial teaching of the Church. Now, there's our bedrock. You know, it's not tailored. It may be deepened, but it's the same. And if it's not the same, then it's different. If it's different, it's not the Catholic Church. So, we have the one Church... And we uh, have a unity in doctrine, unity in worship, and government. Now, there are cosmetic differences that don't touch the essence. For example, in the Eastern Uniate churches, those bodies of the Eastern church that came back again to Rome, but because of history have developed their own liturgies, their own languages in the use of the liturgy, and so they, uh, they can keep these customs that have developed over the centuries, once more united with Rome under the Pope, but still keeping their various liturgies, which still contain the essence of the offertory, the consecration, and the communion of Mass. Uh, they have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, as St. Paul points out in one of his letters, they have the one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There has never been any other society, religion, or government whose members are so closely united. Now, we're going through division in the Catholic Church today. A big block of Catholics have departed while retaining the name Catholic, while going to same churches, having the same priests that uh, officiate, but something deep has changed. And I think a large element is that they're looking for the comfort promised in the Protestantization of the Catholic Church with a small c. Another name we could give this church is the Global Church. It's an ecumenical church. It reaches out to all people on their terms and uh, justifies that they can keep their uh, outlooks, uh, even though they differ from the true teachings of the church of the past, and still be called Catholic or global in the universality of what the word Catholic with a small c really means. We are Catholics united with the past in tradition, Catholics with a capital C. We're not global, but we are ecumenical in the sense that we must bring them to the Catholic Church and let them hear the voice of Christ so that they will follow him in this unity that is more than just an organization. It's a spiritual body and we have to deepen this understanding to get the real meaning of the Catholic Church. Not an organization, not a club, it's not a religious body, it's a living reality of grace and vital union with Christ through whom we go to the Trinity. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And that's what our Lord said about Satan. If he's against himself, then he's going to ruin his kingdom. So he has to be unified, too, in opposition. And you might say the one thing that unites Protestants is their opposition to the Catholic Church. What they believe is varied, but they call themselves Protestant, but they protest the teachings, the authority of the Catholic Church, which they rebel against. And so 
to the Jews, will have nothing to do with Christianity. They refuse the um, teachings of Christ, of the Catholic Church, and they retain their own divisions among themselves, and they are varied among the Jewish people, four different groups, even among the religion, let alone their ethnic and their nationalities and their racial qualities, which also comes under the name Jewish. Now, the Catholic Church today, not the traditional church, but the Catholic Church uh, at large, the global church, the New Ordo Church, uh, is divided in the sense that we have ambiguities and uh, we have differences of opinion, different practices from church to church, uh, liturgical services that are uh, sort of um, quarterbacked before they are uh, presented to the people, sort of like a drama, um, some sort of a stage play, and the people are spectators watching and participating in this departure from the sacrifice of Christ, the central priest, the one in whom we are participants by baptism, by grace, and are automatically involved in the true sacrifice of Christ continued through the Mass. We have um, memorial services, we have substitutions, not bread, bread and wine sometimes, uh, sometimes without the intention to change the bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ because it's only a memorial supper and therefore it's a symbolic substitution for the Mass. And people go without uh, being bothered that there's some question about it and they accept it because it's comfortable. In fact, uh, we can even be ministers. We can give out Holy Communion. We can give out the bread of life, hold the cup or the chalice of wine. Uh, we can do a lot of things. We can sing. We can dance. Uh, we can applaud. Uh, we can do almost anything except what you used to do. And this is division. Now, the essence of the division, it seems to me, is that the authority that exists in the church, vested in the Holy Father and the bishops and so on, has been pitted against the teaching office of Christ to teach the truth. Now you can have anything you want. Well, authority is not legitimate if it destroys the faith or divides the faith. A house divided will fall. And we will see the fall of the Novus Order Church in its departure from the true church. In fact, the direction is into inversion to becoming the anti-church. It's not the pagan religious, not the um, Jewish religion, it's not the Protestant religions, but it's the Catholic religion that will be pitted against the Catholic religion by the false authority or the false application of authority and under the false obedience of those who seek comfort in the new proposals that relieve them of their burdens and we will see that it will then fight us. And this is the ultimate thing that we look for because there is no longer this unity of those who have departed and seem to have the authority on their side. They have the authority, but they don't have the faith. And this is what we preserve in our traditional efforts to know that faith and to practice it to the death if necessary. <coughs> Holy Father, keep them in thy name, uh, keep in thy name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one even as we are one. So as Christ is united to his Father by a divine nature, he is God. So those who join with Christ are included in that divine union. This is something that we don't hear too much about. 
and is the very essence of the holiness of the church. It's divine life given to us in baptism and kept by grace in our virtuous practice of the commandments and the living of these virtues that truly make us living members of God, of the Holy Trinity, of the family of God. Not just a separated um, wayward human um, uh, collection of people called Catholics. No, we have a living unity with God through Christ. And this is not taught much. You can find it if you search in religious books and you have to develop it almost on your own. But it is the very essence of why the liturgy is what it is. It's the heart and not just the externals of the um, visible part that we do see and others see as well in the Catholic Church, whether they like them or not. Now, there are about 550 million Catholics united in doctrine. Now, remember, this book was printed some years ago, so this may not uh, be valid anymore as far as numbers. There's been an apostasy. There's been a departure, not visible. Uh, In fact, the departure has made it seem like we're the minimal number, and therefore we're the ones out of order. But we have maintained that unity of doctrine through the centuries to our times, and in spite of the differences imposed upon Novus Ordo Catholics, that we refuse to accept these differences as a matter of principle of the very essence of our religion. And it's not comfortable. We're sitting on hard rocks, not just hard benches. And we do so because of being Catholic. This unity is evident and admitted by all, had been certainly, All Catholics everywhere believe each and every article of faith proclaimed by the church. Now they no longer believe in original sin. They've changed the idea and practice of baptism. And we find that uh, there's question about uh, the transubstantiation of the change of bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ. That's really a meal that is a symbolic substitution for the Mass. Though they call it the Mass, or rather they call it the liturgy today. They don't use the word Mass. They never use the word transubstantiation. And uh, the faith that you have is what makes Christ present, just like the Protestant theology of Martin Luther. Wherever a Catholic goes throughout the world, he will find his home in the Catholic Church. What a travesty now to read these words from a catechism that no longer really apply. Wherever you go, you find the language of the country, whether you understand it or not, and you find divisions from church to church as to what the priest is going to present or the ministers that join with him in that presentation. Readings from secular sources, song and dance, uh, people participating, uh, milling around the altar, uh, clapping, uh, children with their clown masses, the polka mass, the jazz mass with bands, acrobats in the sanctuary sometimes, with dumbbells uh, twirling in the air, uh, even in our own diocese, conservative as it may have seemed to have been. One young priest had bongo players stripped to the waist uh, playing um, the bongos during mass as an expression of uh, participation. So we see how bizarre these things come to be after a while when they get departed far enough that we're shocked to see, is this what the Catholic Church is? There he will find his brethren in Christ, all believing as he does. Well, from traditional place to traditional place, that will be more or less the case, but not at large anymore. If he deliberately, notice that word deliberately, 
If he deliberately denies even one article of faith of the church, he ceases to belong to it. Now what about if you deny it without knowing you're de denying it? Then we have to, like we're told in St. Paul's epistles, bring him in and quietly uh, tell him uh, his error, privately, one-on-one. -on -one. If he refuses to believe you, oh, who are you to tell me? Then you'd get a few others. Know that it's not just my opinion or one opinion, but it's the teaching of the church that is believed by more than just one or two. And if he refuses this group, then you take him to the church at large. You take him to the bishop. Now what about if the bishop's out of order? Who do you take him to? If the pope's out of order, what, do we do? what have we got? We've got a house divided. But we have the doctrines. We have that practice. We have that continuity. We can appeal to that. But they deny that because they say, well, we know better today than we used to, so what was true in those days is no longer true today for us. And therefore, we can change and update our religion. The aggiornamento means that we can see better and therefore uh, accept the newer doctrines or interpretation of these doctrines today. That is what is dividing Catholics because of the ability or the acceptability that they have of changing these doctrines. Or evolution shows that there was no Adam and Eve. Therefore, there could not have been an original sin as taught by the church. In the past, that's all they knew and that's what they believed in practice. It was true for them, but today we know better. There were m many transitions from lower forms of life to human life, and therefore there were many Adams and Eves, and uh, there was no continuity from a single pair. Uh, uh, therefore, there is no original sin. It was once taught. Now, how do we interpret uh, baptism? It's accepting the little child into the Christian community who, which will protect that child from the ravages of bad example and sin in the world and keep him pure and uh, undefiled as he was born. And there is no doctrine of original sin in the uh, sense that was once taught in the Catholic Church. Now, if he deliberately denies that, now what? We have consequences. For example, if you bring a baby to a priest who doesn't believe in original sin, and believes he's only introducing the initiation of this child into the Christian community, is that child baptized? Is original sin taken away? Does he have grace? It's a doubt. And this is serious. But some parents have no knowledge and they blithely let their children be um, brought into the initiation ceremony, even if it's invalid, and they have no qualms that this child is in a state of grace or is going to go to heaven. In fact, because of the birth of Christ, the Pope says, uh, is that we're, everybody's saved. So there's a universality, a global interpretation that has departed from this teaching that cannot be changed from the past. What about that? Is he a member of the church or not? God alone knows. We cannot see inside of people. We cannot see if they're black or white in their souls, but we don't want to be in danger of being black thinking we're white. So we take the safer course always, and that's why we sit on hard benches or on rocks, or we suffer, or we'll even die, if necessary, for this cause of authenticity. Um, International Eucharistic Congresses were held. They once had one in Australia where the woman who read the gospel or the scripture was bare-breasted from the waist up. 
and the Pope was right there and celebrated the Mass. You say, how could this be? Well, this is because this is the way the people were in those times. It's a sort of a cultural expression. Therefore, in the name of um, participation according to the style of the people, they allowed this phenomenon. And it so happened that this girl, uh, Negro uh, or colored, uh, was a college graduate. So she was no savage, but she uh, was allowed to do this at an Eucharistic Congress honoring the Blessed Sacrament. All Catholics today hold the same faith that Catholics held in the past. And that's why we are Catholic. That's why we are Catholic with the capital C. The same gospel of peace that Jesus Christ preached in Judea, the same that St. Peter preached in Antioch and Rome, the same that St. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and the Ephesians and the Romans, the same that uh, apostles of all nations have been preaching for the last 1900 years is preached today and taught in the Catholic Church throughout the world from January to December. Jesus Christ yesterday and today and the same forever. And yet, where is this to be found? In an ambiguous, confused mixture of true and false believers. Now, we're not saying all Novus Ordo Catholics are false. They have their teaching, they have their ideas, and they are sincere. But that doesn't make them correct. And that's why we have to be very correct about our decision, determination, that what we're doing is the right thing, the only thing that can be done. That same gospel is not going to be changed. Whether they like the unisex language, whether they want to make God more familiar by saying you instead of thou, uh, all of this is um, under that august service that we give to God who is all holy, all um, divine. The Catholic Church is one in worship. All members make use of the same holy sacrifice of the Mass. What about if it's not a sacrifice anymore? Now we're in ambiguity. We cannot see. You see a host. Is it consecrated or not? You cannot see. We take the safer course. We use the greatest caution so that we have the authentic, not the substitute or counterfeit, uh, part of this service of God. Although rites vary, different rites, uh, different languages, different uh, ceremonies, the essentials of worship laid down by Christ from the foundation of all um, uh, still is retained. Certain ceremonies have been and are appointed by the church to show more clearly in outward form the spiritual significance. That word spiritual is dangerous because it means natural spiritual as well as supernatural spiritual of whatever act is being done. So it's a supernatural spiritual significance that we're talking about and to increase the <coughs> devotion of those who are present or take part in the religious acts. To increase the devotion. Not to um, go dancing down the aisle or kissing everybody in sight, but to increase the devotion to God. Such ceremonies according to special conditions of the different countries and, and regions and adapted to modern conveniences. Convenience. Now, how far? These regulations are like those for new church edifices, ornament and illumination of churches, music, language, holidays and obligation, fast and absence, laws, times for service, and so on. Uh, there are variations, and there are legitimate variations and legitimate changes. We're not against all change, but there's some things you cannot change. When they touch these, now we drop the whole, th the whole package. We cannot accept the contamination of whatever might be right, although poisoned to some degree because of the 
poison that does exist among all these other things. The ritual variations, um, certain ancient rituals from the early days of the church being preserved. The change of ritual and ceremonies does not change the substance of the religious act. This is what we're talking about, the substance, not the externals. We can have our mass in English, but the mass has to be a mass, a sacrifice, not a mere quasi-sacrifice that could be interpreted as a non-sacrifice as well. And uh, with this is to uh, preserve the faith, the practice in its entirety. All Catholics are united in government. We try to preserve that unity. We're under the bishop, but he won't have us different from what the, the majority have accepted or are being taught to accept. And therefore, we're divided in the sense that he won't have the past nor us connected with the past. So we've been disenfranchised unjustly. And someday we'll be vindicated. Everywhere the faithful obey their pastors, the pastors obey the bishops, and the bishops obey the Pope. I remember Bishop Donahue saying, I'm only doing what the Pope wants, but he didn't know what the Pope wanted because he told me to write to find out. The Catholic Church is truly one fold and one shepherd. Small now, but it exists. Now, why is the Catholic Church holy? Now, we need to expand this part a little bit more. The Catholic Church is holy because it was founded by Jesus Christ, who is all holy, he's God. And because it teaches according to the will of Christ, holy doctrines. We, don't, uh, we aren't taught to steal or to uh, uh, condemn, uh, to hell everybody in sight. Uh, and, and, and provides the means of leading a holy life. Now, it doesn't mean that the human Catholic is perfect. He might have some superstition. He might have some exaggerations. But by and large, he does go down the corridor of life fairly intact, trying to do God's will. Uh, some more, some less. But he's on his way. He's a sheep that might stray a little bit here and there, but still stays with the fold. Leading a holy life. Some are holy, really holy. Thereby giving holy members to every age. St. Peter called the Christians of his time a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Now, what does that mean, holy? It means sanctified with supernatural life. Not natural goodness. That's not enough. That's man-centered. Divine-centered. That's what we are preserving and we see the shift from a God-centeredness to a man-centeredness in the Novus Ordo. Time after time in every example. The founder of the Catholic Church, Jesus Christ, is holy. The Church exhorts its children to imitate its divine founder. Now I'd say that word imitate, it has to be deepened. There are three levels, you might say. One, to imitate Christ from a distance, his example, read and admire. We live our lives patterned more or less after his. There's a second, one of union that we are one with Christ and we think of him in terms of checking with him um, as a wife would with her husband, as a husband with, with his wife. There's, there's a union there that's very strong and it's not just imitating, uh, being pals, associates, you're one and you live that unity. But there's a third level and that's one of identification. And you see some married couples so much alike that they even look alike. 
They talk alike. They think alike. You can tell exactly what they're going to do when one does one thing, the other would be right there because they're one. They're identified, so to speak. And that's the identity that we seek in our Catholic faith, to be one with Christ so completely that it's as if Christ has taken our place. Now, we don't achieve that 100%. Some don't even try. Some don't even know. But if this is our objective, then we die to self, that Christ may live in us. He comes forth, and it is he that we hear in the words of truth. It's God speaking through truth, and whoever has that truth, certainly Christ, and those who are uh, identified with Christ have that truth. They have that inspiration. They have that enlightenment from God. And this is that deeper wisdom. The gifts of the Holy Ghost are not just like the human gifts, human talents, human abilities. They are divine. And we have this opportunity to rise to this fullness of Christ that we have these gifts of Christ. No founder of any other church is as holy as Jesus Christ, Son of God. Founder. The one who started the church. Not John Knox, not Luther, not Calvin. Christ. The Catholic Church teaches the highest and holiest doctrine ever presented to any people a standard of perfection. To any people a standard, uh, the same precepts delivered to Moses on Mount Sinai, the same warnings uttered by the prophets in Judea, the same sublime lessons taught by our Lord, these the church teaches from year to year. They don't change. The practice is the same, even though the times do move along technologically. You know, we're, still not, we're not riding horses anymore or carriages. We have automobiles and airplanes, but we still have the same spirituality. The church teaches its children to know, love, and serve God, God-centered, and thus to become saints, people of God, not the um, um, global people of God, but that divine, supernatural people of God. It urges them to the truth. What does it profit a man if he gain the whole world, but suffer the, kiss of the loss of his own soul? It exhorts them to imitate Christ, I say, to be one with Christ and to be um, united so totally that you're identified with Christ. That's the ultimate perfection. The Catholic Church provides powerful means for holiness in prayer and the sacraments. By the sacraments of Christ, a Catholic receives abundant graces according to your ability to receive them. If you bring a little cup, you'll get a cup full. You bring a big jar, you get a jar full bring a wash tub, you get a wash tub full. But what do you have to do to enlarge that capacity to get yourself out of the way, to die to self, to diminish, that God may rise and become the fullness. One who is faithful in the reception of the sacraments will never fail to live a righteous life. Every Catholic is obliged to say his morning and night prayers. Well, to pray. And if you don't pray in the morning or night, probably you don't pray during the day either. So we say, say your morning and night prayers. But not mechanically. Do it with a thoughtfulness and a devotion to God. And as your prayer life increases, your devotion will increase. Your awareness of God will increase. And your whole life will be changed according to this prayer and the development of prayer. And to resort to prayer in every necessity and temptation. To pray always. To live in the presence of God. You are going to be praying then if you live in his presence. As well as to prayer of thanksgiving. Not just requests, petitions. He is required under pain of sin to hear Mass on Sundays and Holy Days of Obligation. This is where the source of grace comes from. Christ is here at Mass. You don't see him, but he's present in a truly 
mysterious way, truly present, body, blood, soul, and divinity. We believe this, but then we sometimes don't fully grasp it. But he is here, and it's from the Mass that you get all the graces of the sacraments and prayer. The Catholic Church produces holy members in its saints and martyrs. In every age and country, the Church is the mother of saints, martyrs, confessors, and holy men and women who live in Christ. We should be this way. Unfortunately, not all Catholics live up to the teachings of the Church. They don't know them, for one thing, or they misinterpret them for another thing, or maybe uh, they don't want to. That will be their condemnation, therefore. We must remember that even among the apostles there was one Judas. Our Lord taught in the parable of the wheat and the cockle that the good and the bad will grow up side by side in his church. So don't be surprised that Catholics are not worthy of the name but still call themselves such. And they're murderers, they're adulterers, they're uh, robbers, they're thieves of one kind or another, the hypocrites. But that doesn't make the religion such. In spite of this, we have a holy religion. The Catholic Church still has the gift of miracles. Christ promised his church the gift of miracles, a sign of holiness. But the devil can counterfeit these miracles too. To appear as an angel of light, to deceive if possible even the elect. So we have to be careful about what we're talking about in miracles. Or the supernatural, or the extraordinary, the paranormal, or the occult. You know, the devil can imitate these things, but he cannot produce good. And by the fruits you will know them whether it came from God or from the devil. Christ promises his church the gifts of miracles, a sign of holiness. He who believes in me and works that I do, he shall do, and greater than these he shall do. It's quite a promise of Christ that somebody will do even greater works than he did. Each holy and proposed for canonization, each holy soul proposed for canonization must have worked two miracles before beatification and two more before canonization. That's the way it used to be. Now they're no longer requiring this. And we have people who will be, perhaps even Protestants, declared saints in this confused time that we're going through. We constantly read of miracles at Lourdes and other shrines. The cures at Lourdes are declared genuine by a board of physicians, many of whom are non-Catholic. They have at least this, they say, there is no natural explanation for this result of cure. The Catholic Church carries on numberless works of holiness. It is the great mother of mercy and charity to the helpless. It instructs children in school, cares for the poor, the sick, the lepers, the deaf, the blind, the old, the orphans, the abandoned. It engages in all kinds of missionary and charitable activities. Well, it certainly used to much more than today when the government has taken over and the Leviathan, the beast of the state, now produces this goodness by forcing it to be, instead of from a genuine generosity to give, as we do for the love of God. And so we have to examine ourselves on this unity and holiness. And while we may not be able to do much about the unity except to hold on to what we have, at least the holiness we can achieve by striving for it, developing our supernatural spiritual lives with faith, hope, and charity, with reason guided by faith, and by this intention to seek first the kingdom of God and his justice, to serve God, not because it's comfortable, but because it's right. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen.